Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As we go through 2 Corinthians, uh, these weeks we are looking at these uh, single words, mostly focusing upon them and what that means in our lives and, and how the Lord calls us to live differently because of these things. We are temples. That's uh, what we'll be looking at today. So if you're able, will you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we ask your presence upon us, that your spirit would descend, provide for us understanding, open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, that we would see your word, we would see how it calls us to live, and we would pursue that with all that we are. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, through the first verse of chapter 7. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, that's another name for Satan? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Uh, Bound together or yoked is a common way that it is translated there. Probably the most well-known passage in 2 Corinthians, this one verse. Do not be unequally yoked or bound together with unbelievers. It's foundational for the Christian faith. Foundational for the fact that it shows that there are two distinct worlds, two distinct worldviews, if you want to call them that, that are um, counter to each one. One is the Christian view, the other is the view of the non-believers. These are distinct. And it says uh, that one is characterized by the things of Christ, by light, by the presence of God, and the other is described as being characterized by lawlessness, darkness, satanic things, uh, idols, and, and, and things like that. And there is really no possible hope of combining these two into one except that Christ move in the lives and the world of one and that their hearts would be changed according to the things of Christ. Now, how can these two kingdoms be bound together in common work or partnership or fellowship or harmony? Well, Scripture says that they can't. Now, there's uh, some, some areas there that, that we'll look at as to what exactly this means. But what we're talking about is that there is a great divide between the non-believing world and the believing world. And what can be areas that we overlap? 
Now, who is Paul addressing here uh, when he writes this? Well, let's go back to one page to 517. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and what appears to be happening here is that Corinthians are attempting to live in two different worlds. But remember here in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. The old is gone. Christ has died for those. Those are cleansed. Those are washed away. Remember, the Lord forgets our sin as far as the east is from the west. Those things are gone from us. But yet, apparently, there were some Corinthians who wanted to involve themselves, hang out in these areas, continue to hang on to some of these old pagan practices uh, that they had been involved with before. And Paul says you've got to come out of those. There's no possibility of a relationship of intimacy with that world. Okay. Now, there's possibility of relationships, but there's no possibility of a relationship of intimacy or of closeness with that world. Christ has died to those things. We are to die to them and to put them aside. You have been made pure. You could have no further fellowship with that stuff. You, there's a distinction between a closeness and an interaction. Okay, we all know that we simply can't, uh, as believers, go off in our walled community and live in our own little world and see nobody else but believers. Uh, that runs contrary to the things of Scripture that says take the gospel into all the world. Make disciples. You've got to be involved in the world to do those things. The distinction is a closeness, a, an association of intimacy with those things. That's the distinction that Paul is making here. Now, where does he come up with this analogy in verse 14? Do not be bound together or unequally yoked. Well, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22. Let's turn back to that in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 22. We have a lot of things from the Lord that um, in, in the Old Testament that seem, I don't know, kind of nuts and bolts type of stuff. Okay, here's how you should live, and it appears that he kind of gives a litany of common sense things. Now, why would the Lord take precious time to communicate such common sense things to his people? Well, because there's more than just our common sense, thank goodness. There is the Lord's perfect plan. So as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, verse 10, we have just this little passage here, and it's, little verse, and it's included with a lot of uh, do's and don'ts. Don't mix things together. And here we have verse 10, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Well, anybody who's ever seen an ox and a donkey knows that they're pretty distinct. An ox may weigh, I don't know, 1,800 pounds. You get a big one. A donkey weighs 600 pounds, maybe. Uh, An ox has a temperament and a gait that is completely different from that of a donkey. And, you know, a yoke was that wooden thing that they would put across their shoulders and they would be tied together. It was a fixed thing. So to tie an ox, which might be this high, and a donkey that's this high together, and then to put them out on the plow, what kind of furrow would you get? One goes over there, or one goes this way, or or they'll be pulling against one another, and that's... 
you'd say, well, that's common sense. Why would you put those two distinct animals together? Well, the common sense thing applies to a lot of things. Okay, the Lord says, don't be unequally, don't unequally yoke animals. He calls us to the same thing. Do not be unequally yoked in our lives. Back to 2 Corinthians. Okay. Don't be unequally yoked in our lives with, in this case, unbelievers. Now, Paul uses five um, synonyms here to describe the type of relationship that we're not to have. Don't have things in common. Uh, don't be involved in fellowship. That's koinonia. That's, that's more partnership. That's close sharing uh, with unbelievers. Uh, have things in harmony. Um, uh, symphonesis, which is an agreement or to be one in one accord. Again, in a very close relationship. Maris, which means to hold in common, to have a shared portion that believers and non-believers are not to have this shared portion. And then a word uh, agreement, which we get our word synthesis from, which means a decision that we, are, that we reach in agreement with, that you synthesize the uh, views of believers with those of non-believers. And, you know, they really stand at opposite ends, priorities, views, things like that. Paul is thinking here of pretty close relationships. He's not thinking of a casual relationship. He's thinking of a close and intimate relationship, believers and non-believers. And the word uh, is also used in the New Testament, in in Greek New Testament at that time, where uh, two teachers from opposite schools would not teach together. Okay? from two opposite schools of thought. It would be as if we would go to a class on economics and you'd have two teachers teaching it and one teacher would be a staunch capitalist and the other teacher would be a staunch socialist and they would be teaching completely different views of economics and how things should run. And Paul says, how can you have those two together? Well, he's talking about that in our spiritual lives as well. Well, how far do we take this? I mean, how far do we not yoke ourselves with unbelievers? Should you only go to Christian car dealers and buy your cars from Christian car dealers? Should you only have Christian contractors work on your house? How about your barber? Should you only have a Christian barber? I mean, the guy's got scissors. He's around your head and neck. Um, how about the, maybe uh, the, the lawn service? Should we only have Christian people come to do our lawn service? Where does this stop? Where do we draw the distinction about what we can and can't be involved with? Well, Paul has addressed some of these things back in his first letter to Corinthians. And he began with the church, and he's saying uh, one, one of the prohibitions that he's drawing is that believers, as he is addressing this in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, um, that believers were taking one another to court in front of unbelievers. And he said, this shouldn't happen. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, well, we have a court system, and you get justice. And, and, and I really never um, thought that we would apply this in our world until the church I served in North Carolina had a big stink before I got there. Two long-term members lived side by side, and one guy built a fence, and the fence had been there for years, 
And when, for some reason, the other guy did a survey of the property and found that the fence was about a foot and a half over on his line. So he went to his neighbor, who he had known for years, who went to the same church as he did, and they said, he said, your fence is over on my line. Well, the guy said, well, it's been there for years. He said, well, you know, you really need to move your fence. He said, no, 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 it's been there long enough. I can leave it there now. And They went back and forth and finally took one another to court over a foot and a half of fence. Now, Paul says you ought to take something like that to the elders and, and let them work it out. Because what happened was eventually these, people, these gentlemen both left the church because they could no longer go to the same church. They were so angry at one another because neither one was getting their own way. And you know it's all about me, and I've got to have it my way. Well, they weren't getting their way. Instead of taking it to the elders to seek the wisdom, they took it to the secular courts and aired their dirty laundry there when it should have been so simple to deal with. And they both left the church because of that. Well, in other places, Paul says you shouldn't involve, as believers, you shouldn't involve yourself. Don't go to those meals where they're having pagan rituals and, and, and uh, cultic practices. Uh, don't go up to the temple and, and unite yourself with uh, temple prostitutes. He says you are different. Don't get in those types of relationships. You belong to Christ. Don't be unequally yoked with believers. Now, it doesn't mean to, be, to cut off all association with believers. It says, don't get into the close association with believers, with unbelievers. Now, most often, most often this passage, verse 14, I'm getting to temples. I know temples is a theme, but 14 is important. Most often this is applied in dating or marriage relationships because those are the relationships which are the closest in this world. And a marriage relationship, a Christian marriage, gives uh, an impression or gives emulates the relationship of Christ and the church. Okay, Christ as the groom, the church, uh, church as the bride, and that relationship there, and, and the closeness and intimacy that is involved in a marriage. Um, some have applied it and, and gone a little bit too far with it, to the point where uh, people who have um, um, become Christians... While they're in a marriage and their spouse has not become Christians, those people have thought, well, I should divorce my non-believing spouse now. It says, come out from among them. Don't be involved in them. Well, that's a misapplication because back in 1 Corinthians 7, it says if you have a non-believing spouse and they will live with you, live with them. Okay, You might be the vehicle through which the Lord uses to change their hearts, and that applies to both wives and husbands. I had a woman come to me once. Uh, who had become a believer after both she and her, and her former husband had become believers after their divorce. And uh, he had remarried, and she came to me saying, should I go to my former husband and say, uh, you need to divorce your wife and we need to remarry because, you know, the Lord wants it this way as far as marriage is concerned. And now that we're both believers, we have a better understanding of this. And I said, do you love your former husband? She said, No. <laughs> I said, do you think it would further compound the, in, the problem by encouraging him to divorce his present wife? She said, well, I'm trying to understand scripture and, and help me understand it. I said, the Lord does not want you to go to him and tell him to divorce his present wife and remarry you even while you don't love him just because. I said, that's all wrong. I said, seek forgiveness, pursue the Lord with all that you are. He'll be happy with that. 
She was happy with that answer, too, I want to tell you. She didn't particularly want to go and remarry him. Um, I'm going to diverge for a moment. Now, I got my phone out. How many of you have a phone with you? Just put your, don't pull out. How many of you have a phone with you? Or some sort of device by which, if the sermon gets boring, as if it would ever get boring, you can, below the pew, do a little texting, uh, search the internet. Uh, hands up. I want to see everybody's hands. See here. Uh, make sure you're not doing that. This, this front row concerns me here. Okay? Um, we, we have the capacity in our world today to communicate with literally thousands of people in a heartbeat. Okay? How many people do you text in a week? Or how many texts do you send in a week? Now, I know that's disproportionate. Some are going texting. What is that? Okay? And others are, are somewhere around a thousand texts, you know, in a week or maybe a day. I don't know. Um, and or how many of you, this, I guess this is another test. How many of you are on Facebook? Have a Facebook page, okay? All right. Now, all these things are, are phones, email, texting, Facebook, uh, whatever other social networking pages are out there, enable us to communicate with more and more people. Okay? That does not make us close to those people. It does not give us an intimate relationship with those people. But what's happened so often is that we begin to look upon those people who we are electronically communicating with as our close friends. There's a man in Manhattan, and he had a thousand friends on his Facebook page. And he said, I wanted to figure out how many of these people actually cared about me. I mean, here I am, I'm interacting with them almost on a daily basis. I'm sharing some real deep feelings with them and, and, and emotions with them. And I, I want to know how many are actually care about me. So he sent out a message that said, you know, I want all everybody on my Facebook page to meet me at such and such a bar. And I'll buy free drinks for everybody. A thousand people. You know how many of those thousand people showed up? Two. Two people. Now, how many friends does he actually have? How many people is he actually close with? See, the danger is that we start to communicate and share our deepest feelings with people who don't really care about us, who aren't really close to us. And the danger becomes even worse, and and let me meddle in your lives a little bit. If you are sharing your deepest concerns and your, your emotions and, and the things that are most important with you, with someone, if you're married and you're sharing them at work with someone who is not of the same sex as you, you've got a problem, okay? Or if your, your greatest confidant, if you're a female and your greatest confidant is not your husband, but another male, you've got a problem. And if, men, if you're sharing things with another woman who's not your wife, that are, are intimate and close and important to your heart, you've got a problem and you've got to stop. Men, we are supposed to share those things with other men. Okay? Women, you can share those things with women. If you've got to share them with somebody who is, who is not a woman, share them with your husband. I know that's a shock. Or men, share them with your spouse, your wife. Okay? Sharing ourselves, I guess the way I'm diverging, is sharing ourselves and thinking that we are tying together with real people and being intimate, you have to decide who is really important. 
And it all goes back to the thing of who are you on the same page with? Who do you have the same priorities with? Are you sharing things with non-believers? Or are you sharing things with believers? Are you sharing things with people who really care about you? Or are you willingly sharing those things with people who really don't care about you, don't have the same priorities as you do? Okay? You have to determine that ahead of time. And if you're sharing things with people that you shouldn't, if you're becoming close with people that, one, electronically really don't care about you, you know, revisit that. Or if you're sharing things with people that are inappropriate, that are, that's t- that are taking, that's taking your heart away from where it should be, that would be with your spouse, then you ought to stop those relationships. Back to 14. In case anybody's thinking about getting married here or you're dating somebody seriously, if they're not a believer, you ought to think twice about pursuing it a day longer. Okay? Because it says very clearly, don't be yoked together with people who don't have the same priorities as you. You can't pursue a marriage with somebody who does not hold the Christian values that you do, whose heart has not been changed by Christ. Okay? It's different to come to Christ in a marriage and your spouse does not. The Lord may leave you there as the vehicle to evangelize your spouse. But to date someone on a path and you think it might be getting serious and they're not a believer, you have to decide. They don't hold the same priorities as you. Or if you're thinking about getting married to somebody who is not a believer, stop. Okay? Stop. And we'll see why exactly in a minute. Okay? That was my divergence. Now back to the passage here. Paul has really one big thing in mind here. Now, remember, Scripture has one meaning but a lot of applications, and we can apply this in a variety of ways across our lives. But I think Paul has one meaning here and one target that he is really after, and that is the Corinthians were tolerating false teachers. They were bringing in a false teacher in line who, who right next to one who was speaking the truth. And what, how can they be equally yoked? How can a false teacher have any authority in your church? And he says, you've got to get them out of there. Now, remember, the Corinthians were not that far removed from their very pagan lifestyle. To Corinthian, Corinthian eyes meant to join yourself with a prostitute. In Greek theater, they would walk out on stage, and if they were wearing a sign that said Corinthian, everybody knew what that meant, that this was a debauched individual in Greek drama. Okay? That's how identified the city was with wickedness. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you can't link yourself up with false teachers. You know the truth. You can't go back there. You've got to stay in right doctrine, stick with the right teaching. Now, why was this so important? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is why it's so important that we don't join ourselves in any kind of intimate association or relationship with those who are not believers. Chapter 15, or verse 15 of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 14. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. He says, may it never be. You, your bodies, are members of Christ. Remember what the Lord said to Saul on the road to Damascus? He said, why are you persecuting me? Where was Christ? Christ was at the right hand of the Father. Saul was persecuting the church, okay, the body of believers. Go down to uh, verse 18. Flee immorality. Do you not know, verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Don't join it with things that would cause our Heavenly Father pain or sorrow. So Paul says, don't go back. Don't mix with the false teachers. Don't mix with the false religion. You know better. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord lives within you. Don't go back there. So we're back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He gives us a bunch of rhetorical questions here to seal this in our minds. What harmony has Christ with Satan? Opposites. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Different sets of priorities. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The temple of the living God. An idol is what? A piece of wood, a chunk of stone. For we are the temple of the living God. And then he goes on to quote a bunch of things from the Old Testament that seals us with this view that it is God who works within us, who lives within us. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among their midst. Be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. I'll be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This isn't enough just to state it. Then he reminds them who says it. The Lord God Almighty. Then he concludes this little section here. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. To cleanse, that's the Greek word, where we get the catharsis, thank you, from... The words just won't come out. Catharsis, to cleanse. In first century, it was to get rid of the weeds. So go out and catharsize your yard. Okay, get rid of the weeds. And that same thing in our hearts. Get rid of the weeds in our hearts. What are the things that keep you from focusing upon the Lord? What keeps you from being the temple of the Lord? You've still got enough weeds in your lives. It says get rid of all the defilements of the flesh and the spirit. And as he talks to the Corinthians, there were a lot of options there to defile themselves. He says, you've got to get rid of them. You've got to get rid of them. All the contaminants, all the stains, all the soils, everything that defiles. If you're in an unequal relationship that is close and intimate, it, maybe it's a, some sort of partnership or some deal you've made with the world, you've got to examine that. You know, he doesn't say, leave your unbelieving spouse. He says, stay there. If you're in an, a believing, if you're in a relationship of dating with an unbeliever, you need to examine that and really move away from that because you do not have the same priorities. Now, I'll make the assumption here today that everybody knows 
that we should not join ourselves to prostitutes. Okay? Scripture's pretty clear. Don't involve yourself in pagan activities. Don't involve yourself in cultic activities. If you're a believer, it's clear. Stay away from these things. Now, I know individuals who have, with full knowledge of what Scripture says, have married people from cults, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, or sects. Those are classified as sects. But they thought that they were missionary marrying, okay? Well, surely they're close enough already. My influence will change them. And for years, their lives have been terrible because they joined themselves to somebody knowingly who had completely different priorities because the spouse's view was the same. Well, I know he goes to that Presbyterian church. We'll get him over here with the Kingdom Hall, okay, with us. The same view. They were working at loggerheads. Distinction in the worldview between the believer and the non-believer is very distinct. It is very distinct. So distinct as to preclude an intimate or emotional relationship or partnership together. You can't be unequally yoked. It's to preclude the toleration of a false teacher. You can't have a false teacher alongside of a true teacher. It's to preclude going back to the old way of life. The distinction is so clear, you can't go back to the old way of life. But that distinction is also clear. It enables us to exalt our Heavenly Father. Understand, he who dwells in heaven, he who needs no sun because he lights heaven, has chosen to send his spirit to dwell within us. And we covered this in Sunday school. Do you remember what you learned as a five-year-old in Sunday school? We got what? Here is the church, and here is the steeple, and open the doors, and there's all the people. This is a fantastic building. It is not the church with the big C. Where is the church? It's sitting down in the pews. Okay, that's where God has chosen to dwell. He has chosen to dwell in our hearts. This God who creates with a word, this God who sustains all life, who orders all things, dwells in the hearts of us. We are his temple. And he calls us to live in accordance with that. So let's pray. Lord, what a great opportunity and blessing you have bestowed upon us that we might live in a fashion that is different from the non-believing world around us, that we might live in a fashion that points to you and glorifies you, that we might remember that we have the power as believers, as those in whom the Spirit dwells, to come out from those things, those things possibly that used to bind us, called us by name, tried to draw us in again, Lord, but you have given us the ability to flee from those things. Your word says flee from immorality, flee from all those things that we used to love, that were part of our former lives. Don't go back to them. Don't have anything to do with those. Don't draw close, intimately, in relationships or associations with those who do not have your same priorities as we, those whose hearts have not been changed. Yes, you you have called us to stay here in this world, that we might live out the things of Christ. But we must remember 
that those who are to be closest to our hearts, those who are to be most trusted, are supposed to be those whose lives have been changed. Now, we are imperfect beings, Lord, but we want to live in conformity to your word. Show us this week, possibly, Lord, where we need to put aside some things in our life, perhaps relationships, priorities, whatever they would be that have been pulled over to the non-believer's side, that we might step back and say, Lord, how should we order our lives as a result of what Christ has done in our hearts? What relationships should we have? What priorities should we have that we might reflect the truth and the fact that we are the temple of the living God? For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn is 161, Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew. Let's stand as we sing 161.